oh my god, Baby Yoda was like, like engineered to be the cutest thing on known to man. Uh, my favorite <laughs> is known to man. <laughs> my favorite Fuck is you this... baby elephants that are actually real. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. You know what? This is Baby Yoda's time. Elephants <laughs> have had a good run. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the film review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster, you are probably healthier than I am in San Diego, California. Oh, Lord, I'm trying. Everybody has it. Everybody at the office has it. Everybody Mm -hmm. I know has some kind of crud. It's supposed to rain for the next four or five days here. Uh, So I'm just taking vitamin C every day, fighting it best I can. I still need to get my flu vaccine. Uh, Do that. And you, the sickly voice on the other end, is Cassidy Robinson from Las Vegas, Nevada. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to have to buy a hazmat suit to fully avoid this because I have. I mean, I, I don't get sick that often. Like maybe once a year I'll get like sick for like two or three days. After, as soon as I was done recording with you and Josh last week. It was like my body just like said, now it's time. Mm. And yeah. I have been bedridden pretty much for for a week, with the exception of a few days where I had to go to work. It's been a rough go at it. I'm just starting to feel like a human being again. Well, that's good. Welcome back to the land of the living. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping I don't catch it. I, I'm the same. I noticed, though, that... Since I moved away from Idaho, um, like in Idaho, I'd get sick like two, maybe three times a year, usually around the change of the seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, in San Diego, I get sick maybe like once a year. Like I, I, I just very rarely get sick here. Um, and this Anyways. is Germ Talk with <laughs> Keith and Cassidy here discussing the latest episodics. <laughs> Uh, now, today Cassidy, going... tell me all about that dengue fever. <laughs> uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, Jojo Rabbit, which is a, a fun movie that we uh, finally caught up with. And at the end of the podcast, uh, we're going to catch up with uh, your Netflix as- assignment to me, which was um, Dolmite is My Name. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's called, right? Yeah. Yeah, Yes, I believe so. And, uh, yeah, we're just going to get on with it. Um, I, I decided here at the top of the show, even though we're not going to do a formal consume obey, I'm just going to let you geek out about the Mandalorian because I know you want to. Oh my God. I was literally thinking, even if we don't do consume obey, I'm going <laughs> to talk about the Mandalorian. Holy fucking shit. Have you been watching it? No, I haven't watched it yet. Oh, Jesus Christ, Cassie, what is wrong with you? Um, okay. So... It's great. It is everything I hoped it would be and more. There's only two episodes out so far. They're they're dropping it weekly, which I appreciate. Mm. Um, I appreciate the weight, the the, and it just gives people a chance to like talk about it. And you know, I I don't know. Just it's more special to me when it comes out once a week versus the um, binge dumps, uh, and. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. Each episode so far has only been about a half hour long. Um, so I think like when everything's really? yeah, it, it, but they cram so much into thirty minutes um, that it doesn't feel like you're getting shortchanged or anything. And the production value is so good. Uh, it, it, I was talking about this before it came out, just from the trailer, uh, how cinematic it looks and. Man, it is delivering. Like it, it does not feel like a TV show. It looks like a Star Wars movie. Like it's mm-hmm. it's shot like Star Wars, and um, 
and the the graphics are great the locations are amazing uh uh but yeah it's it, there's not a lot of dialogue uh which is interesting um mm-hmm. but it's just like the hardcore spaghetti space western uh that you would hope that a movie about a bounty hunting space guy would be <laughs> uh it's just so fucking cool yeah, highly recommend. Uh, uh, very, very fun. Mm-hmm. And if anyone's been on Twitter in the last whatever, um, you know that uh, uh, Baby Yoda has been sweeping the niche. Okay, well, I wasn't going to say anything because that is that is technically a spoiler for the first episode. Okay, um, well, if you're online at all, and I know you are because you're listening to a podcast, that's true. And if that has already been spoiled for you, I'm sure <laughs> certain of it. And if you follow me on Twitter, I have not been holding back. But yes, uh, my favorite thing was that uh, they did an interview with Werner Herzog, who uh-huh. has like a little cameo in uh, uh, as a character in The Mandalorian. And someone asked if he's watched it and he's like, no, I don't subscribe to Disney Plus. I, I don't watch any TV. Uh, someone asked him. Like what it was like working with John Favreau, you know, he's directed Iron Man, he just directed mm-hmm. Lion King, and Warner Herzog is like, well, I'm not familiar with his films. <laughs> um, but the best part was uh, somebody asked him if he had seen Baby Yoda, and he hasn't watched the show yet, but he was like, Oh, yes, I, I saw it on set, and it, it was so beautiful, you could not help but look at it and cry. <laughs> is yeah uh but yeah i think Very when on brand werner herzog is it's the most werner herzog you'll mm. ever get uh but I, I think when everything from the cave of forgotten dreams <laughs> uh i think when everything's said and done uh if you like if you do binge watch mandalorian it'll probably play out like a four hour long movie like that's how it yeah. feels like it feels like they just shot a movie that they're well, you're telling me it. that it's a half hour, half hour episodes makes me a lot more likely to watch it. So, yeah, there's no fat, there's no filler. It's just like, yeah, get to the fucking good stuff. Mm-hmm. And the, if I'm not mistaken, the yeah, the baby, the baby Yoda is a puppet, right? It's not a yeah, it's, it's animatronic CGI creation. There, I mean, mm. they might touch it up with a little bit of CGI, but for the most part, it's animatronic. I think very cool. But I'm loving it. All right, well, um, let's get caught up on a little bit of movie news here. I just saw this one on Deadline right before we started. Um, Kind of interesting. Uh, Universal sets movie on Dracula gopher Renfield from Dexter Fletcher and Robert Kirkman. What? Interesting. Okay. Uh, I don't know Dexter Fletcher. Um, Robert Kirkman, that's exciting. I... Mm-hmm. I think Robert Kirkman is. I mean, I I like Robert Kirkman. I like his stuff. I do think he's better, sort of conceptually. Um, like right. sometimes when he's writing char- like sometimes his character dialogue, his characters are a little too intelligent and a little too reasonable, and and um, sometimes I think he gets in his own way a little bit there. So that could concern me with, like, pinning a script. Because um, sometimes I think they can just read a little flat. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think he's got enough of, like, a, a nerd pedigree that he could at least come up with something interesting conceptually. So, I don't Dexter know. Fletcher uh, direct, uh, Dexter Fletcher directed Rocket Man and Eddie the Eagle. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, um, so that's actually uh, not the pairing I would have, like, imagined for something like this, but I think it's encouraging because based upon those two films, I know that this director's uh, very character-oriented. Yeah, and He's uh, yeah. pretty classy, you know? He, like, he's not, he's not too flashy. He's not too, like... Um, you know, it wouldn't be like getting somebody like a Len Wiseman or, or like a Paul W.S. Anderson or something like that, who's just all about big, dumb set pieces. Yeah, uh, that's definitely true. And and I think, actually, you bring up the, the characters. Uh, that is 
I think a, a big strong point of his, and um, and hopefully mm-hmm. could uh, play to Robert Kirkman's uh, relative weaknesses. Oh, or or that as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we'll see. I I I wonder if this is still supposed to be part of like because I've I've heard tell God, that Universal can the idea of the like dark universe but they still kind of have a foot in the door just in case no please like they're still wanting it to happen get that fucking idea out of your head universal um i was thinking around halloween that like i think the time is right for vampires to come back in a big way i was thinking like it's been a while since we've had uh, i mean i'm not counting that bullshit dracula untold nonsense because that wasn't dracula yeah but i think like the time is right for a new take on dracula like but make him scary make him a monster and if you're doing it from rinville's perspective i think you could play into that in some interesting ways i'll i'll say i'm cautiously optimistic okay Okay, so uh, Star Trek Four is back on. Uh, this time the director will be the creator of Legion and Fargo. Okay. Uh, the TV shows. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm so confused with Star Trek now. Like, yeah. there was already, there was a Star Trek Four, but also Quentin Tarantino was doing his Star Trek thing, but then. Chris Pine said he wouldn't come back for Star Trek, and mm-hmm. and they even wanted Chris Hemsworth back, and he wouldn't come back, and so it's like you don't have any Kirks. Uh, <laughs> I just I I don't know what the fuck is going on. Is this Quentin Tarantino thing happening? I this sort of feels like where we were with like a couple years ago when there was all this rumor and tell about these different Joker standalone movies that were coming out. And right. I mean, one of them came to fruition, but like right. they were also talking about doing a standalone with Jared Leto at the same time. And it's like, what the fuck is happening? Um, I guess I just, I'll wait till there's more concrete details on this. Like, it just sounds like there's not really much to go on yet. It's saying here that this uh, won't interfere with whatever Quentin Tarantino wants to do. Um, some sort of spinoff. And uh, it's still being uh, produced by J.J. Abrams. So I'm assuming the whole cast is coming back. Chris Pine, okay. Zachary Quinto, etc. I mean, uh, if it happens, I'd, I'm all for it. I've really liked these Star Trek movies since the relaunch. I have too. And you know, like people have varying opinions on them. Um, especially as time has gone, I've even seen one hot take, uh, that said, you know, it's time for uh, a clean break of, you know, a new, a new take on Star Trek. I'm like, not really. Like, like these, these actors are still young. We've only done three movies with them. There's still a whole lot more you can do with, with that universe. Like, I think yeah. abandoning it right now is kind of pointless, especially since we don't... This isn't like the uh, the Marvel movies or whatever, where there's five that come out a year. We don't, we're only seeing these about every three or four years. So Yeah, and so far, I feel like they've all been pretty decent. Uh, yeah, I mean, me too. I, in fact, Star Trek Beyond, which was one of the ones I think a lot of people sort of slept on... Um, yeah, yeah. Was probably my favorite of the three. I I just think I, they're solid. I mean, yeah, they have they might have some flaws, but they're solid like space adventure flicks that aren't Star Wars. And, and yeah, don't get me wrong, I'm I'm riding a pretty big Star Wars high right now. But like, that's not all of the Star Wars doesn't own sci-fi space adventure and. Right. It's nice to sort of have a different voice in that arena. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've, I've really liked this cast since the reboot. Um, you know, it's it's sad that uh, Anton Yelchin won't, won't be able to right. um, yeah. come back. But, but I feel like, you know, like the original Star Trek crew, they had their whole fucking series plus like eight movies. Right. I feel like we're still discovering stuff about these characters we're still learning things i i think a reboot would be like the most annoying thing that they could do 
Yeah, because it would feel um, too premature as far as I'm concerned. But well, and just like really cynical and mm-hmm. and just. I don't know. Yeah, premature and just, I think, kind of gross. And plus then it's like, okay, well, now we have to have, like, another origin story or whatever. Like, Right, right. Why, well, why if, bother? If they wanted to open up within, like, say, the Bad Robot uh, Star Trek universe, and they wanted to open up other, st- like, fleets, like, you sure. know, other uh, adventures from different fleets within this universe... Like, sure, I think that, you know, Star Trek has the ability to do that because it's about a federation. Um, yeah, and, and have, I mean, there's, there's a you precedent You could have something for that. like a, a their version of a Deep Space Nine or their version of a Voyager or something like exactly. that. Exactly. The, there's already a precedence for spinoffs, at least on TV. But, right. but, like, but that's kind of a good example of why I don't think they should reboot it is mm. even on TV, it's been reboot so much. There's... They're, uh, after Star Trek Voyager, they sort of reboot the canon with that Scott Bakula one, mm-hmm. and then uh, their Star Trek Discovery, which, I mean, people seem to love. People say it's really good, um, but I'm not paying for another streaming service. Sorry, CBS All Access. But, you know, like, the TV history is so murky at this point that I'm like... Like, just even the thought of getting invested in Star Trek Discovery just sort of makes me exhausted. Like, I don't I don't need that. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm fine with a big, flashy movie. And I'm sure if you're a Star Trek fan, this is probably upsetting you because if you're a Star Trek fan, there's not a lot of casuals. I'm a fair-weather Star Trek fan. I've yeah, never there's really not a been... Lot. I've never really been crazy about the shows. Like, some are better than others, but basically, I'd much rather just watch the movies. And that's how yeah. I thats how I enjoy my Star Trek content, is is, is the movies. And that, that's the other Old thing. Old or though. new why, or otherwise. Why do a reboot when there is a successful Star Trek series that is completely detached from the movies? Like, I don't know. I think, I think that would be the worst thing they could do. Well, um, it doesn't look like that is what they're doing. So, and Noah Hawley, uh, who did uh, uh, Fargo and Legion, I I've never watched Fargo. I hear nothing but good things about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Same. And uh, I've I've dipped into Legion a little bit, and I thought that was a pretty cool show. He's definitely has a you know a visionary mind. So um, I trust him, I guess. Uh, and well, you I'm don't have any reason to not to. Yeah, I have no reason not to. And I'm down to see, like, another sort of creative interpretation, you know. I think Justin Lin did a really good job with the last one, and everyone was, you know, skeptical of that because he's a Fast and the Furious guy. Well, I think um, it's in a good place because they have a very clear... They have a very template. clear tone. Yeah, a very clear yeah. template. A, a, a nice sandbox to play in. Um, mm-hmm. And I think if you get, you know, some like up and coming talent to play within that sandbox. That's really exciting. Let's go ahead and talk about Jojo rabbit. Um, now you've seen it a lot more recently than I have. So I'm going to let you set it up. What happens in uh, Jojo rabbit? Okay. Um, so there's this young boy, Jojo, and he is a part of the Hitler youth. He's a 10 year old boy and he is, uh, you know, he's imaginative and he he just, be- you know, he believes the propaganda that he's told and uh, he yes. and has this takes a- place in World period War- yeah. uh, World War Two, kind of towards the tail end of of World War Two. Uh, yeah, Germany. like 1944 to 1945 ish. Um, mm. You're not sure. Ex- they're not specific on the exact span of time. You just know the war is sort of ebbing. Um and he lives in Germany. Um, he and he has this imaginary friend in Adolf Hitler. Uh, like he's he's so into Nazi culture that um, you know he imagines he's best friends with Hitler and uh, who's played by Taika Waititi, uh, the director. And um, he goes to this Nazi youth camp. Um, where he okay i 
I don't want to say too much more about this because I really think this movie is the kind that's better the less you know going in. Sure. Yeah. Um, like, I didn't know anything except, you know, little boy with uh, Hitler imaginary friend. Yeah. Um, I mean, so, that's the elevator pitch. Yeah. So I guess if you're if you want to see it and you, you don't want to hear much more tread lightly. Um, yeah. Okay, so he goes to this Nazi camp um, where he has an accident. The accident leaves him uh, to where he can't enlist in the Hitler Youth anymore. Um, So he gets sort of this menial job, like putting up propaganda flyers and and such. Um, But mostly just sort of being a young boy with his mom in Germany. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, His mom played by uh, Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. And then uh, as he's at home by himself, uh, he discovers that his mom is hiding a young Jewish girl uh, in in his sister's old bedroom. Um, And that's sort of the movie is him. You know, he he as this young Nazi youth, he wants to turn this uh, Jewish girl in. Um, but he sort of finds himself in Catch-22 because he doesn't want to get his mother in trouble. He, does, he doesn't want to get in trouble. Um, mm-hmm. So he doesn't know how to to give this information without hurting, you know, his mom. Um, right. And then he sort of, over the course of the movie, gets to know the, the Jewish girl in this right. sort of stalemate situation they have. Yes. Okay. So it's high concept. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, uh, there's a lot of like subtle mixes in of fantasy. Um, mm-hmm. uh, also, if you're you know familiar with Taika Waititi as a director, there's you know a lot of humor. Um, yeah, comedically uh, broad, very tongue in cheek, and arch. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah, and also there is uh, JoJo is also sort of becomes friends with uh, this Nazi captain who, who was sort of responsible for the accident that left Jojo uh, sort of homebound and, and played by Sam Rockwell, right? Yeah. 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 Captain K. And he's, he's uh, sort of actually in a similar situation as Jojo because he wouldn't be much, he'd much rather be out there fighting the war, but he's stuck teaching, you know, young kids and stuff because of an accident that he had. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So sort of a relatable figure. And and he's also unlike uh, the way a lot of the Nazis are depicted. Uh, he's, mm-hmm. he's a little bit more redeemable. Like he, he's, you know, he's uh, right. He's a little bit more ambival- ambivalent of the actual mission of the Nazis. Uh, yeah. And you learn more and more about these characters as, as the film goes, because, they uh it's written in such a way that they reveal themselves yes yeah you you see the problems i'm getting at like there's so much yeah there's so much richness to these characters that mm-hmm. that uh that you sort of discover as the movie goes along that I, and again, if, you're I reading, really... if you're reading just the description or just hearing it like we're telling it you're probably just thinking like oh super yikes on all of this yeah. Well, um. <laughs> okay. So that brings me to my experience with this movie. Yeah. Um, man, they really should have. Okay. So I saw it, and right before the movie, there was a trailer to Terrence Malick's new film, A Hidden Life, mm-hmm. which is about this German who refuses to fight in the war uh, and opposes the Nazi party and gets like jailed up and tortured and, and it looks you know very serious very prestige right. um very terrence malick and that was literally the trailer right before this movie starts mm-hmm. so that put me in a weird headspace i was not like ready to laugh at a, a goofy hitler right <laughs> um and and honestly it it did take me a little bit to sort of warm up to this movie because um, you have to sort of drop your guard 
Because, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Because, I mean, it's very bouncy and light and likable. And, um, and uh, you know, sort of intentionally cute sometimes. And it's, 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 it's fucking with you on purpose. Yeah, and exactly. Y- you're, you know, if you, you know, have uh, moral scruples or um, a good sense of history... You uh, you have a hard time sometimes. You're like, is this is this okay? Like, is this? Is, yeah, yeah. Are, well, is, are we? Should we be laughing at this right now? Like, is this making too light of it? And you know, I th- I think the movie does eventually earn all that, and it, it yes, it it plays with the uh, with the comedic aspects of it, and it never like officially changes tone at any point. Like it is it is always the movies that it is. But it, um, I guess it broadens out well, to I, include I, the more uh, historical tragedy. Yeah. Well, okay. So I think the important thing to remember, I think what's interesting about this movie is you're seeing it from the point of view of a child. But it's not yes. a child who's being victimized by the war like like an Anne Frank story. It's It's a child who's you know, who's privileged, who's just sort of a kid yeah. growing up in this situation who doesn't... For him, the really... Nazi youth is is the uh, Boy Scouts. Yeah, it, it, there's there's no reason for the character of Jojo to question any of these mm-hmm. things because he's, he's a 10-year-old boy. And, and, and for I him think... to look up to Hitler would be like for a young boy to look up to Abraham Lincoln. Exactly. It, like... Oh, oh, yeah, it, it, I mean, we we think of that as horrific, and it is, um, but that is but how it, the propaganda it, was designed at the time. Like, you know, yeah, you look at and, like you look at like what's going on in in uh, North Korea right now, and lo- the way that they have deified uh, the Kims. Yeah, and um, they, you know, kids especially are taught from a very very young age to believe that that you know these these people are superhuman. And yeah, they exa- exactly. are above it's, the law and they are above uh, morality and they're above, you know, whatever. So it, it makes it, like it, in, a, in a clever way, Taika Waititi, who is Jewish, by the way, we should put that out there. Oh, um, I didn't know that. That does actually make a big difference. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sure does. Um, but, but I mean, even even regardless, he does. I think he does still have a, a sensitivity to everything. Um, no, Absolutely. Uh, but I think it, I think what not, he's trying to show is that the that the propaganda was so pervasive that the idea that a little boy having a having a um, a uh, imaginary Hitler friend um, would w- is is basically it's his way of illustrating how the mindset of the propaganda and the white and the uh, uh, white exactly of terror it, it, really it's was important to remember that. Hitler didn't do all of that stuff by himself. Right. <laughs> it, it wasn't just Hitler was a monster. It was Hitler was a monster who helped brainwash an, an entire country into doing horrible things. But a right. kid isn't isn't going to hear about those horrible things and, and see them realistically. You know, right. he believes that Jews are monsters and, and, and all of the, the things he's told because he's 10. Uh, yeah. You know, he he just wants to fit in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it, again, I, I do think, like, this movie did take me a little bit to win me over um, because I, I was also coming in as cold as possible because of that fucking trailer um, <laughs> reminding you of the the tragedy of, of World War II. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it's... It's definitely intentional. Like it, the right. the way the story plays out is, you know, it's not like th- this movie doesn't portray Hitler as a hero. In in no. the character of Jojo does have an arc and and um you know does learn a little self reflection along the way. Uh, yeah, and and I don't want to give too much away in, as far as how he does that. Um, yeah, or or what leads him to that. Um. Well, I think it's very uh, important and um, uh, functional to the film that this takes place at the end of the war. Yes, you yeah. know, to- it- towards the you know the the tail end of the Nazi regime, and you know, 
we see we see the empire sort of crumble around him. Um, yeah, and and there are people who are are like his mother is is pushing him to you know to be like well you know more accepting after the war the you know the the war's ending like yeah you know she just wants to move on and and you know be a good mom um right. and yeah. Scarlett Johansson a- uh is so great in this mm-hmm. uh I mean everybody is uh, all of that uh Taika Waititi's great as as this comically really broad Hitler um mm-hmm. uh Roman Griffin Davis is just absolutely adorable as Jojo. Oh, um, I I think this kid is has to do so much. Like it's I think it's easy to to watch this movie and think like, oh yeah, like he's a cute kid, but no, like no, no. he has to carry the whole goddamn thing. He yeah. he has to illustrate the entire emotional arc of the movie. He has to have his own emotional arc in the movie and, a, you know, um, uh, 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 intellectual moral change of heart. And he has to, you know, play with this, like, goofy comedy thing and tragedy at the same time, both. And, and it's actually incredible how much this kid has to do. Yeah. Um, and, and does it great. really, really well. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, also, Sam Rockwell is is uh typically lovable as as Sam Rockwell. He Right. Down uh, turns like in, Nazi. Yeah. Yeah. Um honestly the only character I didn't really care for was uh Rebel Wilson. Um Oh sure. But she's just kind of there. Yeah, she felt a little out of place, but she's not like a huge part of the movie. Um oh, and the the Jewish girl, uh Elsa, uh played by Thomas and McKenzie. Uh, yeah. She was also really good. Very good. Yeah. Um. Okay. So this movie may have made me cry in a theater, <laughs> which I am not apt to do. <laughs> right. But like once the movie ended, like the lights came up and I sort of like had to run out of the theater because I didn't <laughs> want anybody to see me. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, but it's, it, it's not like. Yeah, it's, it's not like this movie is like it's not going to weigh you d- down. It's not a, a, a it's not that it's this heavy like drama, but I think because it's tempered with humor, um, mm. when the punches come, you feel them that much harder. Yeah, I think. Uh, I agree. Because, th- because so, there's this tension that the movie's sort of playing with. Um, with, you know, like, this is a well-known story of uh, Gestapo going into people's houses and finding Jews, and it does not end well. Yeah. Uh, it ends horrifically. And there's, to me, in my head, I was kind of always, like, through the whole first half of the movie, I'm like, okay, where's this going? Like, <laughs> how, you know, everything can't just be okay. Right. And then when it's not, it's... It's you. You feel it coming because you know the history, but it mm-hmm. still feels like a sucker punch. Yeah. No, it's true. Yeah, and it's it. Uh, um, I think that's uh, he knows what he's doing with comedy. Yes, and with satire. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, yeah, you know, satire without without irony is uh, uh, pointless, and. Without touching on uh, 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 the reality of the tragedy of, of World War II and Nazi Germany, it would be, you know, feckless and somewhat irresponsible. So I think, like, when it gets to that stuff and it, it, it goes to where it has to go, it earns it. Um, and, you know, it doesn't betray the initial tone of the film either. Um, no, no, it's it's not like it's something sad happens and then yeah, the, it doesn't the movie feel manipulative. Changes. It doesn't feel like oh, we're t- we're turning the screws on you now. Like it feels it, it's just like you know it it puts you there, it puts you in in the uh, the reality of that situation. And well, and I think it 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 all works because you're seeing everything through through the eyes of this little boy. 
Yes. Uh, who who is just filled with heart and imagination and love and who just has the wrong information. Yeah. He's just believing in the wrong things. And that in and of itself is, is almost one of the most heartbreaking things about the movie is just mm-hmm. that this, that such a sweet loving boy could believe these horrible things uh, because he doesn't know what he's believing. He's, you know, he's just, going with what's normal and it's it just right uh, uh <laughs> like i just could not stop thinking about this movie yeah me too i was one of those things where i was like you know i i, I kind of knew a little bit about it and i didn't know how serious or not serious it was and uh we went inside and when i walked out of the theater it's like i don't know this might be the one to beat yeah like, i was i like, was this floored is, um, and it's kind of funny because, you know, it's it's getting mixed reactions out there. Uh, it's not being talked well, about as I, much I, as I would think it should. But I, I found this to be, you know, in the canon of great uh, uh, political satire as Chaplin's uh, The Great Dictator. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, I, I think that the reason it's getting mixed reactions um, is because it isn't... <sighs> Because it does, it doesn't, it doesn't play it safe ever. No, uh, I mean, you know, the beginning when he's a Hitler youth, it is kind of hard to watch some of that stuff. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's some, you know, there's still some funny stuff, um, but it's it, again, it doesn't pull its punches. It's, it's, you know, he's a Nazi, yeah. uh, and then when it goes for those emotional tone shifts that it doesn't pull its punches there either like I, I i think that's why it gets mixed reaction it's not safe it's it's going for it it's trying to say something real and when you do that with art not everybody is going to like that or appreciate that or right or be comfortable with that so i i'm okay that it's getting kind of mixed reactions i think overall uh people are responding pretty positively to it right um yes I agree. I, I I think this is for me one of the best movies I've seen this year, and it's uh you know it's devastating. It's hilarious. Um, it's I think you know, it's, also... it's it's a feel good movie in a weird way too. Like you walk out of the theater feeling you know hope and stuff. I will say there's one moment at the very end to illustrate uh, JoJo's complete arc that I thought was a maybe a hair too much, but other than that, I I. I didn't think there was a false note in the movie. No, I I agree. I I also think that I mean I I love Taika Waititi and I I love his other work, uh, but I think mm-hmm. this is a, a high for him as well. Like yeah, agreed. You, you know what we do in the shadows is great and funny and silly, um, and does a lot of good things. And and Thor Ragnarok is has been the high bar for Marvel movies for me for a while now. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but this just feels, it just feels like he's, he's stepped up to a new level because of the way he's, he's pushing things and playing with satire and he's playing with what cinema can do. He's really playing with what, you know, with the way you can, uh, convey emotion through a movie in, mm-hmm. in ways that I don't think he's done before. Um, I think you've seen maybe small notes of it, of this uh, sort of, it's just, uh, sort of like a melancholy tinged with hope. But I think this is him at his, his best. I, th- I think he's hit a new high. I agree. Um, just uh, before we, we uh, finish off this review, I, I want to uh Give a little, give a little love to uh, Archie Yates as uh, JoJo's best friend Yorkie. Yeah, all equally adorable and always funny when he's on screen. Um, <laughs> yeah, steals every it, scene he's in, and, and and he all his character is like it's like medicine when he pops up on screen because he, yeah. he just like he is the perfect like tension breaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he he is very good as well. 
very funny. Um, and Stephen Merchant, um, who plays a Gestapo agent, is like simultaneously hilarious and terrifying. Yeah, yeah that that whole scene is like very tense. It, I mean, it, I would say you know there's that scene is just as tense as the the um, restaurant scene from Inglorious Bastards. Like, you know something is going to happen, and it's mm-hmm. going to be bad. Yeah. All right. Um, so what are we giving Jojo Rabbit? Oh, I'm giving it an A+. Yeah, I, I, I think I have to, too. I'm, I'm very, very rarely that moved by a movie, and I was mm-hmm. just so in it um yeah in especially uh like i said i was coming in kind of cold and Mm. and this movie really won me over yeah absolutely all right cool well let's go ahead and talk about the netflix homework now uh dolomite is my name and this uh it's a netflix original as well right yes yeah this is directed by Craig Brewer, a director I'm a big fan of, and I was excited to see his attachment to this because he he's one of those guys who had a strong start with Hustle and Flow and Black Snake Moan and uh, you know was kind of an indie darling there the early 2000s. And then um, when sort of the, uh, the ceiling uh, broke on the uh, – or the – I don't know – how exactly do I want to say this? The indie thing, the indie explosion of the early 2000s kind of ended um, towards the mid-2000s. He had a hard time getting work. And I know that he had a lot of projects that he was very emotionally invested in that didn't happen for him. And um, he ended up doing the uh, the reboot of um, Footloose, which was much better than it should have been, but probably not the movie he would have loved to make. But here he is uh, doing this film, and it it's basically kind of like a, an Ed Wood slash uh, disaster, disaster artist, artist kind of narrative. So it's this movie's about um, a, come- uh, a performer and comedian turned direct or well turned, uh, I guess, producer. Um, yeah. He wasn't actually the director uh, based off the real life uh, person, Rudy Ray Moore. Yeah, so, and he's played by uh, Eddie Murphy in this film, and this takes place in, like, the mid-70s, and he's trying to get a, uh, trying to get a career started in stand-up, com- in stand-up comedy and uh, in the music business and wherever he can make money. He's sort of a, an entertainment hustler, like... Yeah, um, just sort of he's... drifting in, in, in and out of between the entertainment industry, wherever he can kind of get a, his foot through the door. And he eventually does so after he uh, hangs out with some of the, the local homeless people, and he sees that there's sort of a culture of joke-telling um, and sort of this rhyme scheme-style joking between them. Um, he sort of becomes locally famous for releasing these records of this style of comedy under this character he creates called Dolomite. And this character uh, becomes popular enough within sort of the uh, uh, black culture that he feels like he can extend this to a film. So he gets some people involved, some producers, some writers, whoever he can afford to get. And they uh, put together a Dolomite film um, with the funding of the uh, Mafia, um, which happens a lot. Like uh, back in the in the mid 70s, a lot of these low budget films and exploitation films um, were often funded by the Mafia, including Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And you can ask the actors who got zero pay from that movie because of that. Um, Jesus. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, so uh, this is uh, it's one of those like so bad it's good kind of things, like right, like like the disaster artist or like uh, Ed Wood, where you're seeing like a production that sort of doomed uh, yeah, from the start. Everything goes wrong, but uh, Rudy Ray Moore believes in this character so much because it, it it's sort of given him a second life in his career. Um, yeah. he, he's working a record store, but then this character builds enough momentum based off of this sort of 
hobo folklore, black uh, black hobo folklore specifically, that the people just the black community just connects with it, and he gets right. you know huge cult following. So he knows there's an audience for this type of thing. Uh, uh, there's a, a particularly I think I think a, a pretty good scene where him and his friends go to see a movie. And it's this comedy, and it's like, I, I can't remember exactly what comedy it was, but, it, you know, it's just, it's sort of this white 70s humor. Right. Um, and him and his friends are just, like, bummed out. There's, like, you know, there, there's no kung fu, there's no titties. Uh, <laughs> there, there was nothing in that movie. Like, right. you know, they, they were there for, for something totally different. And so he, he just is building this production on blind faith that he's building something that that other people will enjoy yeah um now i actually kind of felt bad because i I, i've known about dolomite for a long time the movie um the original movie right the original movie the movie that this that this is based on uh Mm. And I, but I've never seen it. I've seen uh, a fair amount of black exploitation films, but I have not. I've never seen Dolomite, and I know the Dolomite is often sort of talked about in context of being like one of the first uh, in the genre to like add intentional humor, and it's like a little bit more self aware. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's still one of the ones that's like you know talked about. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think you get a good sense of what the movie is, and at the end, of course, they do kind of a side by side, so you can see the actual footage in the film versus like the recreations from from uh, the movie that you're watching. Um, so I, I mean, I got enough of it. I think you can see Ed Wood without having seen an Ed Wood film. I think you can see Disaster Artist without having seen the the Room. Mm, maybe a little bit less so in that case, uh, mm-hmm. but. Uh, I really thoroughly enjoyed this movie, and I thought what I loved about it the most is uh, the ensemble. I mean, yes, Eddie Murphy's great a... in this, and it's always great to see Eddie Murphy be great. And like, it's it's been a while since we've seen Eddie Murphy be great, and and yeah, and I think yeah. So now that now we're talking about Eddie Murphy, like I think that there's some obviously he can connect with this character wanting sort of a, a, a new life in show business and sure. in Hollywood. Like Eddie Murphy's career has, I think seen more ups and downs than just about any actors. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's always nice to see him hit a high note. And I think he's playing this character. He's playing his heart out here and it's just, yeah, he, it, it, it's so fun. His performance is so fun and breezy and charismatic. Yeah. Yeah, um, but also like uh, very empathetic and a little pathetic sometimes. And like he, he he's not he's this isn't an ego kind of play. He's like he's not here to like kick down the door and like be the badass of the film. Like the whole film, he's he's kind of struggling. Yeah, and like a lot of times the the other characters around him are are playing the the bigger part. Oh, uh, like he's okay. he's very supportive in the film. Yeah, yeah, and um, I I think that's something that's interesting about the Dolomite story is it's this guy who who found something that people loved and and even after this movie, um, after the the first Dolomite, I guess he went on to produce eight more movies. You know, keeping his friends along for the ride, like oh, the Rudy Ray Moore. Yeah, the the yeah. actual Rudy Ray Moore. Um, yeah. And so I, th- I think that's pretty telling of his character, you know, like he, he, he wants to make something for people. It's not, it's not yeah. an ego trip. It's, it's, he, he, he just, I think he knows he, he clicked into something special. Right. Um, but yeah, th- this ensemble is insane. Um, uh, particularly, I want to give a huge shout out to. Another sort of lost actor who we haven't seen in a long time, Wesley Snipes. Oh, he's so uh, good in this. He's so fucking good. He's in this. So funny, and it's like, I mean, he's he talk about stealing every scene he's in. Right, he is. <laughs> I, I'm just like God. I am not. I have not thought about how much I've missed Wesley Snipes. Like, <laughs> yeah, but, and but it, also Wesley Snipes. He he doesn't get a, he. 
during the course of his career, he didn't get a lot of opportunities like this to shine. Well, he did, like in the early '90s, certainly. But uh, but but I mean, he he was sort of. But it's been a while he, since he's been allowed to be funny. Yeah, it's, he it's got been sort a, of like, typecast as the got, action badass. Yeah, he was Blade for so long, and he and uh, yeah, he was the he was the either a military guy or he was like uh, kung, you know a a kung fu guy or whatever it is, and. You know, I recently rewatched uh, Tu Wong Fu, and okay, yeah. I was watching that, and just going like, "Who, like, where did this Wesley Snipes go? Like, where's the Wesley Snipes that would even do this movie? Let alone, you know, that this actually happened." Um, yeah. In Tu Wong Fu, he plays a drag queen. In case people don't know, um, and that's it was a very old film, but. Here he is, like, like that. Um, this is the guy I could believe would do that movie. Yeah, and it was, it was I, just refreshing. I guess it was just so mm-hmm. like I couldn't it take my eyes off. It was just fun to see him. him have fun. Yeah, well, I mean that. I mean that's kind of the case with the whole cast. Yeah. Um. Uh. Like it just you got a sense that this was probably a really fun movie to hang out on. Like, sure, you know. And to an extent, it's a hangout movie. Um, yeah. I mean, you also have Keegan-Michael Key in here, Craig Robinson, Titus Mike Burgess. Epps. Yeah. Uh, also really good is, um, and I don't know her, and I, I hope I don't mess up the pronunciation of her name, uh, Divine Joy Randolph as Lady Reed. Oh, she's really good in this too, yeah. Yeah, she... I mean, it's just a murderer's row of black talent, yeah. of uh black comedians black actors and telling you, you know it is sort of a familiar story with movies like ed wood oh the and- structure is almost beat per beat like you know it's 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 very similar and even has that kind of like island of misfit toys like find your own family kind of kind of message totally. and everything yeah but you know it's a it's a formula that works and we've never seen it applied to this culture in this time period. Um, and well, exactly. And, and there's a little I, bit more think... to, like, the the success of Dolomite. Well, first of all, it was, like, an actual success, as yeah. opposed to the other films that we've talked about. Um, this Which like only found a cult audience. This actually, the, like, made money. <laughs> yeah, like, the, this was one of those things. And, um, you know, the culture of exploitation is very different... Then, I mean, I guess, yeah, I would say it's I would say it's pretty pretty different than like the B movie culture of the fifties or the uh, the uh, uh, well whatever Tommy Wiseau was doing with his own money in the in the two thousands, um, <laughs> because black exploitation was kind of this unique little era of time where. Hollywood wasn't making films for an entire culture of people, and this sort of underground um, exploitation world allowed for them to see themselves in these uh, old theaters that have been abandoned by traditional Hollywood cinema. So uh, they talk about it here, where in in Broadway, in uh, Broadway Street in in L.A., there's all these old theaters. That were used to be like prestige theaters from the 1930s, 40s, and 50s that uh, Hollywood would have premieres, and then they became abandoned and um, were were turned into basically grindhouses uh, in the uh, in the 70s, where they would show these uh, different exploitation films, specifically like uh, uh, black exploitation films and and um, kung fu films. Well, and I think also this movie has a lot of um, it, it does have a lot of that cool history. Yeah, um, like uh, uh, the concept of renting the theater for walling. Um, what was, yeah, for walling. Uh, yeah, like I I thought that was really cool. Like I'd never heard of that before. Well, that's what um, Tommy Wiseau did with the room when when he first released it. Um, he had you know he was independently wealthy, so he just four walled. Uh, his own movie for something like five months in uh, in this theater in Pasadena, and uh, 
yeah, and pretty much just <laughs> paid months. rent to oh, to keep his movie there. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just uh, I agree with you. I think this is a really fun, breezy movie. Mm-hmm. Um, has a lot of cool history, and I think it's cool to see it from this type of movie from a perspective that we haven't gotten so far. Um, yes. And it was just, to me, so much fun to see all of these great actors who we haven't seen in a long time uh, just giving, like, career-high performances. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the t- the period detail and stuff is a-, it's a lot of fun, and the costumes and all of that stuff, and, you know, like seeing, like, the old clubs and everything sort of recreated... Um, well, and, and I didn't know this, um, I don't remember where I heard this. Maybe I was looking something up or it it might've even been at the like sort of tail end, like credit tag thing. mm -hmm. Um, but that Rudy Ray Moore was also, is also attributed as one of the founding fathers of hip hop. Um, sure. Because his comedy had the, this rhyme scheme and it Mm -hmm. had a rhythm to it, uh, that I thought that was really interesting to think that this that it, it all just sort of came from this sort of fo- oral folktale tradition. Yeah, um, he adapted it for stage. He updated it a little, uh, and and just using this sort of oral rhythm uh, helped spawn a genre of music. Like that's fucking crazy. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and it, and that's that's why I'm saying like, even though you can look at this and go, oh, this is this is just Edward, like this is like you know, it's basically the same exact plot. But um, I think that there's historically so much more going on here, and yeah. and uh, well, not more, but something different certainly, um, and worthy of its own story. And I think these, you know, the actors and everything is everybody's bringing it and this is still a a lot of fun to watch and really funny and if you if i think if you like those types of movies those sort of um yeah you know uh come from nothing hollywood uh biopic kind of stories i think like you said this uh the movie making elements of this the, the script the actual direction of this they feel familiar they feel um but they feel played it feels like they're played well yeah and with a um you know it it, it's like it's like when you hear a good rock song right Mm -hmm. even if it sounds familiar if it's still a rocking song you're gonna like it that was a such a lame (laughs) (laughs) so bad i i sometimes halfway sometimes four four is 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 enough um Yeah, no, I know what you're saying, and I, I personally am gratified to see Craig Brewer uh, attached to a project that's getting talked about, and you know where I can really feel his presence in the film, and is I, sort of connected to uh, what he's interested in as a, as a filmmaker. That's interesting that you saw because I didn't I didn't know this director I, I didn't know his background, but he also is kind of coming at it from kind of a similar perspective as you know as eddie murphy as Mm -hmm. rudy ray moore like i i think in the that type of business and show business it's it's really easy to get into that place of like is my best work behind me um yeah you know what what am i doing now what's going on and and i think sometimes that can you know we we have that whole segment of like what should people do with their careers right um like this is what I would pick for Eddie Murphy. It, it was, it mm-hmm. was so exciting to just see him be Eddie Murphy, and and uh, and I also hear he's he's gonna be uh, doing some stand up again. So I I hope this is, I hope this is the actual Eddie Murphy comeback that we've been waiting for for so long. Yeah, that'd be cool. All right. Um... Well, next week, uh, the movie I'm going to have us, or the next time we do a podcast, it's not going to be next week because it'll be Thanksgiving, but uh, the next time we record, I'm going to have us watch the uh, Noah Baumbach's debut film, Kicking and Screaming, um, from Netflix, and 
If anybody has anything to say about any of the things we talked about in this podcast, you can contact us at our uh, email address, mcguffinpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mcguffinpod. Or you can like us and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MacGuffinPod. Um, you can read my writing that I do for the Idaho State Journal every once in a while over at the Idaho State Journal's website under their Arts and Entertainment and Movie tab. Um, you can also find the archives of the show and other articles I've written for the Seattle-based website, The MacGuffin, um, at mcguff.in slash author slash Cassidy. And while you're there, be sure to check out the other writing from the MacGuffin staff. Let's see. You can follow me individually on Twitter at bccassidy. And be sure to listen to this show and rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, you know, a five-star rating and a one-sentence review is all we need. And uh, what about you? You can follow me on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Keith Foster Kid. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram under my art account, uh, Sticky Note Aesthetic. Um, also, be sure to uh, follow... And like my new video sketch group on Instagram uh, called Video Fasties, at Video Fasties with an F. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty much it for now. Yeah, you got a couple videos on there, right? Yeah, we only have a couple up so far. Um, we are, we're still working on um, getting a few edited and stuff. Uh, and then once we have a few in the can, we're going to start releasing stuff a bit more regularly. Mm -hmm. um, so definitely give us a follow because uh, we it's not just going to fade away. We have a lot more content um, that we're just trying to be a little more strategic about how we release it. Cool. Cool. All right. And um, I should say that uh, you should go and check out... Patrick and Dennis over Almost Educational because they've been putting out new episodes again. And uh, <laughs> at some point, I'm supposed to be doing an episode uh, with Patrick where we talk about Videodrome, but about everything, including this uh, recent illness, um, has gotten in the way of doing that. So um, at some point, I will be on there doing that. So go and listen to them. Um, and uh, that'll be it. That's the episode. Fuck off, Hitler.